0: From the the Teaching and Learning Collaborative at the Wentworth Institute of Technology in
1: spooky
0: Boston, Massachusetts,
1: where things go bump in the night, this
0: is the CoLab Podcast where we dive deep into the art and science of
1: teaching
0: (laughs) and learning. Oh, hey, Megan.
1: Hi, Josh.
0: Oh, man. It has been such a weird day at the office. Super spooky.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that. There's weird voices. Doors are opening and closing mysteriously.
0: Um, Is it because I stayed up really late reading Demonology by King James?
1: That could have something to do with it. I was reading Interview with the Vampire last night before bed, so I think the shadows look a little more large than usual today.
0: Yeah, they definitely do. I might rethink my choice to um, stay up really late tonight reading Wonders of the Invisible World by Cotton Mather. Anyway, so I get into the office, right? And, you know, we're pretty high up in our office. We got a beautiful view out over the Quad and all of the Fenway neighborhood. So we had this owl sitting on the ledge just staring at me. And I'm walking around the office, and the owl's eyes are just following me real creepy like... Mona Lisa owl. Yeah, like a Mona Lisa owl. Exactly. You've you've seen this owl, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, once or twice. I I try not to stare, though.
0: Wow. Anyway, this owl had a package for us. I managed to, like, you know, jimmy opened the the window, kind of hard to open, but I got it. You know, brown paper bag, ripped it open. Turns out it's an old-fashioned phonograph record.
1: What's a phonograph?
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're the Wentworth Institute of Technology, but that's too old for us. That sounds um,
1: like very old technology, but I'm, I'm willing to go with it, Tosh.
0: Luckily, not too old. Um, I hear that uh, our founder, Ariok Wentworth, was listening to a phonograph when he mysteriously left this world. Ooh. Ooh. Luckily, Ariok Wentworth's personal gramophone is still downstairs. In Beatty Hall, I was able to get in and play this record.
1: Oh, very nice. What did the record say?
0: Would you like to listen?
1: (laughs) I would, Josh. Anytime someone has a spooky record delivered to you by an owl, you obviously listen to it. Definitely. What's the record called? Did it have a title?
0: It had a title. Mystery of the Absent Students. It was a dark and stormy night. Waves crashed mercilessly against the post, and mist filled the night air with mystery. A lone professor stood on the balustrade overlooking the sea, traversing her own dark night of the soul.
1: My students, my students, they're disappearing. Less and less of them are coming to class. What's going on? Some ancient curse?
0: Perhaps indeed. It is, after all, All Hallows' Eve, when the veil between the visible and the invisible worlds becomes precariously thin. So perhaps there is some wisdom from the great beyond awaiting to be revealed. You see, the seacoast promenade at any time is full of ghosts, but on Halloween night, the professor's anointed eye could see the crowd of spirits mingling with the crashing waves and far along the train of ghosts stretching out to the horizon and beyond. Just then, as the professor was lost deeply in thought, a cloaked figure emerged from the darkness. The street lamps casting long shadows as this mysterious figure made a beeline for poor old Professor.
1: Oh, no! Who, who are you? What do you want?
0: Professor Plum, innit?
1: Why, Why yes. Do, do we know each other?
0: Well, I know you, but the question is, do you know me? The professor looked at this young ruffian in front of her. To the eyes of the world, the very picture of a rogue, a vagabond, a hoodlum. But then she noticed that he was, in fact wearing a hoodie with a fearsome leopard, staring out with hungry eyes, the very symbol of her own university.
1: Wait a moment. I recognise that. Do, Do you go to the Wentworth Institute of Technology?
0: I do, and I'm in your intro to data analytics class.
1: I don't believe I've seen you there.
0: Well, I went to the first day, but I ain't been back since. The professor stood shocked, whipped by the wind, wondering why anyone would not return after the first day of her class.
1: Not returning to my class, the only explanation. Oh dear, are you a ghost? Well, I may or may not
0: belong to the preternatural world, but before the professor could look up the word preternatural, a zombie climbed up from the seawall behind her and went directly for an academic's missed prize her brain.
1: No, not my brain, no!
0: Luckily, a hooded ruffian sprang into action and sliced the zombie's head off with a silver sword. Can't be too careful these days, it, teach? You, you, you just saved my life. I bet you didn't think a Dickensian urchin would save your life, did you? Urchin seems rather
1: disparaging.
0: Look, I'm a bloody urchin, all right? Uh, own it,
1: own it! Oh, oh, very well. What, What's your name, kind urchin?
0: Maurice.
1: Maurice, I'm Professor Plum. Oh, I know. Maurice, I have a problem and... Aside from the zombie that just attacked me, and I think you may be able to help me. Well,
0: I do like helping people, so I'm all ears.
1: I'm trying to figure out where all my students have gone. It seems like less and less of them are coming to class these days.
0: Well, of course there is the zombie apocalypse, but beside that, I can tell you that the first day of your class was too boring for me to care about, but... Not quite boring enough for me to properly sleep through. So it was kind of like being an undead purgatory. If you want people to come to your class, you've got to make it more interesting.
1: Oh, dear me, that hurts to hear, but also makes sense.
0: I've also been keeping up with class by doing the reading online from the safety of my underground lair. So honestly, why should I even be bothered coming to class and risk getting turned into a bloody zombie?
1: That's a fair point about the zombie. They are a bit of a concern these days, but I do think you'd get a little more out of my course if you came to class.
0: Well, we'll see about
1: that. Maurice, perhaps you have some advice for me on how I could make my class better and bring my students back. Students like you, they've gone missing and it makes me feel so lonely.
0: What? I'm sorry to hear that, Teach. Ain't nothing personal. I'll give it some thought, and I'll send you a note through my trusty owl.
1: Oh, That sounds good. I'll let you know when I've made some changes, and hopefully you'll consider coming back.
0: Perhaps. I'll look for an announcement of your changes on
1: Brightspace. Lovely. I'll make a video note. and Maurice, thank you again for saving my life.
0: All in a day's work. whoa, Megan, that was some incredible audio. And get this, after we listened to it, right, the owl was back sitting on the ledge with another package. I ripped the thing open and basically it's just these like ancient runes and chicken scratches signed Maurice. Luckily, I got our computer science co-op student to write a code to decipher it. And it's been compiling all afternoon. We just got the copy of the Decoded text, which we are proud to share with our CoLab podcast listeners.
1: Excellent. Yes, I'm very excited to see what Professor Plum did to stop turning her students into zombies in the classroom, especially given the threats of zombies outside the classroom.
0: Maurice broke down his advice for how Professor Plum can get her students back into the classroom into two categories. The first using intrinsic motivation, he's got five suggestions there. And the second using extrinsic motivation two suggestions there. So let's break this down further. First strategy is to make class time fun and engaging. As we know, active learning strategies are going to get people out of their seats, talking to each other, actually doing something. And when you do something, you learn more and also probably have more fun.
1: Who can argue with a class being fun and engaging? I find myself thinking about a conversation I had yesterday uh, with my spouse about meetings and how somebody was interested in making routine meetings fun and engaging. And and he kind of had a point of, well, meetings don't necessarily have to be fun. Like there are aspects that are dedicated to concepts besides fun. I think engaging was the word we clued into a little bit more than fun, because even if you're not doing fun things all the time, you know, you want people engaged in the activities that you're doing all the time so that it feels meaningful. For people to be there. Fun can be a natural byproduct of that.
0: Another strategy for making your class time engaging is using the flipped classroom model where you have students do pre-work outside of class or they're actually doing the reading, watching a video, trying a problem set. And then in class, they're doing things that are more higher order thinking, where they get to interact with one another and analyze or create something new or whatever it is that is inherently going to be more participatory, fun and engaging and require the professor's expertise because students are going to be coming up against challenges as they try harder and harder tasks that the homework has kind of prepared them to tackle.
1: I like that. There's a lot of potential there with solving mysteries in class, and you've done a little bit of pre-work to gather up some clues before class, and then you put those clues together with your classmates and solve it either in a collaborative or even a competitive manner with a no-stakes reward, basically, for solving it.
0: Definitely. Everyone loves a mystery. <laughs> Humans love having to figure something out, having to lean forward in their seat and be like, what's going on? And I'm going to put the picture together. And I think we're figuring out this whole uh, mystery of the absent students thing is that uh, mm, Professor Plum's class was not, neither fun nor engaging. Maurice is really laying it out for us here.
1: Yeah, Maurice's brutal honesty is hurtful, but appreciated.
0: I mean, you know, that's how they do it on on the streets back in uh, Victorian England.
1: I have questions about the plot here, though, of Wentworth. When did Wentworth form as a school? Like, I wonder
0: Let's, if we... Don't look too far into it.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Very well then. I think it was like 1904 or something like that. So but, not um,
1: quite Dickensian Urchin.
0: Not quite Dickensian Urchin, but, but uh, Megan, I will tell you, if you ever come up to visit, there's a really historic burying ground cemetery near me that's beautiful for all sorts of things, including oh. the final resting place of the founder of Wentworth Institute of Technology. So oh, I okay. a tour of... Uh, yes. We could we could do a seance, you know, we could do an episode from live from, you know, his burying place could be interesting.
1: One of my favorite (laughs) things about Boston is the spooky graveyards. (laughs)
0: Mm. For sure. All right. Maurice's second category is make learning social. So it's not just a professor up there blabbering and everyone else is doing their own thing. Listen, you got to cultivate that community of inquiry. You need a community in order to have feelings of belonging, build in opportunities for students to collaborate and build in peer accountability so that students feel like they have to do the homework or they have to show up because they're responsible to their peers in their group or whatever it might be that they're working with on a project or on a problem set or or whatever the situation is, when students really feel countable to one another, it's a lot stronger than just being countable to you. That also gives them opportunities to make friends in class and really build connections with each other, which definitely gets them coming to class, but also learning more deeply and building connections that will uh, outlast their time in your class and make them feel more connected to the university as a whole.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of value in realizing that the Classroom is a place for voices of everyone, not just the voice of the instructor or the occasional students who feel the most confident speaking up. And I can really feel for Maurice trying to learn during a zombie apocalypse, because that definitely takes a lot of energy just to get to class and have the expectation be I must socialize well in class. So I would almost broaden the definition of what we mean by social to realize that it might not just be. Verbally speaking, it could be socially annotating something together using some sort of technology tool. It could be collaborating asynchronously in a, in a discussion forum. Plenty of different communication methods exist aside from just hearing students talk in the classroom.
0: For sure. It sounds like Maurice is already engaging with Brightspace, the class via Brightspace in his underground layer. So, you know, let's leverage that.
1: I like it. Meet students where they are.
0: Exactly. I mean, and also speaking of the zombie apocalypse, I mean, we've basically been in a zombie apocalypse the last couple of years of pandemic. So, you know, I I think Professor Plum might benefit from our episode on trauma-informed pedagogy.
1: Yes. What an excellent, shameless plug for our previous episodes.
0: We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) So Maurice's third category is to make real world connections. Bring in experts from industry or from whatever the discipline is that you're teaching. Have students go out into the field and actually meet people and do things in the real world that are related to what your, your discipline, your subject is. Make it clear how what's happening in your classroom will actually help them achieve goals they have in the wider world, whether it's professional, personal, those real world connections are going to make the material come alive and make people want to engage more deeply in your course content.
1: I love this one in particular, because it seems really baked into Wentworth's DNA as a university, given the types of programs and majors and experiences that we offer students. I think a lot of it has a ton of real world applicability and the the lens of we are preparing students to enter the real world industries. I think it's a nice reminder that there's always more opportunities to do that. It's not specific to a certain class or a a certain semester responsibility, but there are always opportunities to bring that into each moment you're with your students.
0: And it doesn't just have to be in the courses for their major. I know that one professor I work with is doing a really fascinating course about the design of the built environment and Frederick Law Olmsted and actually going out into the Fenway to the actual neighborhood that he designed and the parks and everything. And there's so many connections to every discipline that Wentworth is, you know, offering from civil engineering to all sorts of design and architecture and infrastructure. So there's there's ways to tie all these things in, as well as the aesthetics of it that maybe students aren't considering as much in their technical courses. That's an opportunity for them to really see how people are interacting with the, the built environment and how Olmsted's ideas, for example, of democracy, you know, that tie into his design of space. That's pretty incredible to be able to deepen and widen the scope of what students are are learning and connect it to things above and beyond maybe the narrow focus of some of their more technical courses. So Maurice's fourth category is emphasize the positive. We know from self-efficacy, Albert Bandura, that positive reinforcement, both from someone like a faculty member or just structured into how you teach. If you, you know give a the first formative assessment, make, make it something that the students are gonna be able to find success in and feel like this is possible. And then when they're faced with harder challenges, they'll persist because they've built up some self-efficacy by having early successes bringing positive energy to the classroom and really supporting and encouraging your students will increase and support their intrinsic motivation and their desire to keep showing up and to persevere when they encounter challenges.
1: Definitely agree. And what I like about this one is that it's never too late in the semester to emphasize the positive. Typically at the beginning of the semester, if you've got some early activities that your students can succeed on, that can help build that self-efficacy. But even later In the semester, you can still leverage the power of your own belief in your students to be able to remind them that you think they can succeed, you know they can succeed. This is not out of their reach. And in order to make progress, here's what we need to do and how I can help you as an instructor.
0: Maurice's fifth category is, hey, professors, demonstrate that you care. Genuinely show that you care about the success of each individual student goes into this idea of instructor presence and how you have presence both in the classroom and also asynchronously using the learning management system or other ways that you are communicating with students and running the class that they can engage with outside of class time and structuring in moments of really meaningful formative feedback for students. So it's not just them getting, you're the arbiter of grades, but you're actually showing them ways to to improve and giving them the opportunity to do so and creating that safe space for them to fail and try again and and improve. And you can do that in small groups and you can do that one-on-one. You can structure in things like check-ins or Or even try an oral exam instead of having everyone take a written exam or offer that as an option. Just really emphasizing the ways that you care about your students' success and are willing to meet them where they're at can go a long way to increasing students' intrinsic motivation to show up and really keep on coming to your course and bringing their best day in and day out.
1: What I'm hearing in all those ideas is a lot of different options for how you can show that you care. That was not a laundry list of you need to achieve all of these, otherwise your students won't know, but it's about examining the relationships that you're forming with your students and adapting to what works for them in those relationships. Particularly for me, I really like emphasizing feedback. When I was teaching my health sciences course, I kind of took an attitude of a coach, trying to coach students on these different health activities that they were engaging in and providing feedback on their experiences as they were learning about these health education and exercise physiology concepts. And thinking of myself in that role rather than a teacher or professor, I think helped me show that I cared.
0: Definitely. And showing that you're a real human too, and you are also living through the zombie apocalypse, along with the students in so many ways, right? From inequity and inequalities in society, to war, to disease, all the craziness, the change that's happening in our world, we're all susceptible to it. We're all going through the same thing together. So if you can show that you're a human being and you are facing, you know, real challenges and you're flexible with yourself and forgiving of yourself, and you're going to offer them the same grace, that's a really strong way to demonstrate that you care and build those connections.
1: It sounds like Maurice is full of some motivation advice that was rather ahead of his time.
0: Listen, I think we're going to try and get him as our co-op student next semester. Well,
1: I'll we'll send him to. an
0: owl to his underground layer and see what he has to say. <laughs> so Maurice's second category is a lot smaller. There's only two, and that's a good reason for that. So the second category is strategies to get students in class using extrinsic motivation or extrinsic motivators. And, you know... At the Teaching and Learning Collaborative, we're not really big on behaviorism, but providing some incentives and or disincentives to complement the strategies outlined above will certainly be familiar currency for students, given our cultural context that we live in, in which behavioral economics is the uh, ruling element of a lot of our society, sadly. Sorry, Chicago School of Economics, but uh, humans are not exclusively rational actors, You know, listen, we want to get the other side of the story. We requested a seance with BF Skinner, but uh, he ghosted us. Imagine that. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) I knew I could count on Megan to build on that pun. So the first category using extrinsic motivators is to have things happen in class that only happen in class. So there's actually a genuine, real reason to be there. Because if basically you're just going to lecture kind of repeating what the reading was, then why come to class? But if there are things that are happening in the classroom, projects or group work, or you're using that flipped classroom model where in class students take their learning to the next level by actually practicing skills, then there's a genuine reason to be there.
1: I find this one interesting because the accessibility warrior in me says make your class as accessible as possible. And that includes if students cannot attend in person you have an equivalent option for them to participate remotely or asynchronously that said we do have distinct course modalities here for a reason of a fully in-person class versus a hybrid class versus a fully online asynchronous class and you can leverage the modality to promote some really unique events and create literal incentive for for being there by thinking of class as an exciting opportunity to come together rather than an obligation in order to get an A.
0: Definitely. And as instructional designers, we know well that if you're going to teach the same content in a different modality, you have to do a lot of work to adapt it and really change how it's going to be taught, what the students are actually going to do in order to meet those learning objectives. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense that we want to balance, you know, if someone has to miss a class for whatever reason, and that's going to happen. And that's okay, that they don't, you know, miss out on something they can't catch up on. Of course, you know, we want to have that built in that flexibility. And at the same time, we do want to have if it's an in person class, we want to have that class, be something that really is a draw. And there's a reason to be there. Um That's kind of structural and built in. And there's things happening in class that could only happen in the classroom. And that's part of the magic of coming to campus. So Maurice's second bit of advice for extrinsic motivation is to, in fact, require attendance. To take attendance in class and possibly even grade attendance. Of course, you'll want to offer some flexibility because life happens, maybe two free passes or whatever it might be. Or, you know, you have to write me an email with what's going on if you have to miss class. I understand that comes up, but I need to be in a relationship with you and understand what's going on. And, you know, also to show that you as an instructor are human and you care because, you know, things come up. But at the same time, if students know that that class has an attendance requirement, attendance is going to be taken. And maybe there is, you know, some way it's connected to the grade, then they're more likely to have that reason to to show up as well.
1: What I like about this strategy is that it hints at the benefits of structure in the learning experience and setting the expectations of what the learning experience is going to be like and making those expectations known up front. So you're not making up an attendance policy as you go. Instead, you've got it established that I expect you to be here. There are here are the consequences of not being here please try to prioritize being here. If not, here's your, here's the flexible plan for adapting to cases when you won't be here. And I, one of my favorite oxymorons that I've picked up in my instructional design career is structured flexibility. And I think that some of these extrinsic motivation strategies provide some of the structure, but some of the intrinsic motivation provides some of the flexibility.
0: Definitely. And you need both. These are complementary because you. it would be ridiculous to be like, you are required to come to this incredibly boring class because then it just feels like extra painful and pointless and annoying. <laughs> um, but if it's like, no, you're required to come and you're required to come because we're going to be doing things in class that are going to be the way that you learn and they're going to be interesting and engaging. And that's why I'm requiring you to come to class. Otherwise, I would just send you home with a book and, you know have you report back in a few weeks. I think it's a, such an important point about the structure because if you think about first year students, they've just come from 12 years of a system that requires them to be somewhere at one oh seven PM and the bell's gonna ring and blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden they're in, in a situation that has no structure. That's a recipe for them potentially not doing as well and kind of getting a little bit lost within that um, openness. So it is our job to support our students, uh, set them up for success. And, and one way that you can set your students up for success is to give them that structure and those that clear expectations up front and also to be transparent about why, why the structure is in place. And and even being explicit about how there's data to show that that having that structure helps support student outcomes and even student mental health to have that place that you're we're waiting for you, we're expecting you to show up. And if you're not going to If you're not, if you don't come, we're worried about you. We're going to, someone's going to reach out, you know, we, we, we care about you and want you to be here, part of this community. So it goes beyond just a, you need to be here because I say so, but it's a, you're, you need to be here because this is how learning happens and we care about you. And without you here, the community of learning is incomplete.
1: Yeah. To that end, I see the overlap with the intrinsic motivation factor of showing that you care. And I recall when I was teaching online, when I noticed one of my students, Disengaging, not showing up to the discussions and not participating in those weekly, I would send an email. And rather than try to make it a lecture, and you have missed the discussions, docked 20 points, I tried to modify the language and say, Hey, we really miss having you participate with us. So try to join us. Remember, the next one is due Thursday, and I really hope to see you there. Sometimes just small adjustments in language and intentionality can uh, make the difference.
0: In our book club, we were just talking about how to put inclusive language in your syllabus that makes students feel a sense of connection and belonging. And that goes into not just the actual syllabus, but into all communication you have with students. And as you said, reaching out to individual students when they don't come. I have a feeling that if Maurice had received an email or something from Professor Plum, he would have felt a little bit more seen. I mean, she was like, do I know you? Be better if she did.
1: Exactly. Wow, a lot of wisdom today from
0: Dickensian, the preternatural world. The
1: preternatural world, yes. yes.
0: yeah. It's a good thing I stayed up late reading uh, demonology.
1: I was, like, uh, you know. Yeah, I'm so glad that spooky owl decided to drop by.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I, I definitely recommend Wonders of the Invisible World for you tonight, in case you need some light reading before bed.
1: I've got Dracula queued up to read okay. tonight, right before I go to bed. So. That's legit. Yeah.
0: That's legit. So listeners, we actually hid a second Charles Dickens reference within this episode. And of course, because it's me and Megan, it's, it's a musical reference. You know, got to be uh, on brand. So if you find that reference, please email us at teach at And we will send you a teaching and learning collaborative branded reflection journal we're all about the swag here at the Collab Podcast. And, you know, feel free to email us, you know, whatever. If you have any supernatural run-ins, if there's a dead learning theorist that you'd like us to conduct a seance with, we'd be happy to do so. And if you really like the episode, feel free to tell us what you loved about it. Um, write it on the back of a $100 bill and send it to me, uh, Care of Wentworth. I'll make sure to pass the message along to Megan.
1: A likely story.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Megan Hamilton Gulbert. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Josh Luckins, radio dramatist and host of the CoLab podcast, a production of the Haunted Instructional Design Team at the Fearsome Teaching and Learning Collaborative here at the Spooky Wentworth Institute of Technology in Boston, Massachusetts, where shadows lurk in the night. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay curious, if you dare!
1: supernatural afoot mm, mm, mm. <laughs> turn off your theremin and just play the record josh <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's why it's been such a weird day at the office jimmy from hr is playing the theremin all day <laughs>